Genesis chapter 18 uh, tonight. Genesis 18. That song bring, brings back a lot of memories. Glad I wasn't the one singing with her because I'd have been bawling. Um, at least she kept it together. Um, but at Genesis chapter 18, about a year ago, I was listening to a sermon by an evangelist, Evangelist Dave Brady. And he was preaching from this text. And God really spoke to me through that sermon and through this text and the truths that were found in it. And for about the last year, God has just been bringing me back to these things over and over and over again as I work through some struggles in my life. And while we were on vacation, I listened to it again, and God impressed on my heart to put this sermon together. And I know it's a humble responsibility to stand behind this pulpit and say, I believe God wants me to preach this, but I know that God wants me to preach this sermon tonight. And I'm going to trust God, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to take what is said here tonight and apply it to each and every one of your hearts. I want to ask you a question tonight. What struggles are you facing today? Are you facing a mountain? And you don't know how to get over it. Maybe you're struggling with the besetting sin in your life. Maybe you have a difficult coworker that you don't know how to get along with. Maybe you're struggling with anger, a lust problem, your tongue, a wayward child, mounting bills, a broken or a difficult marriage, a pride problem, a health problem, cancer, loss of a loved one, and the list could go on. In Genesis chapter 18, we find Abraham and Sarah facing a mountain in their life. We're going to find some truths tonight in this passage that can help us with our problems. More importantly tonight, we're going to find a mighty God who has the answer to all of our problems. Let's read Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. Genesis 18, verse 1 says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes, And looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch you a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quick three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the, unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it, dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he, and he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. And we stop kind of the narrative here and just inserts a little bit of a side note. 
Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. We pick back up in the narrative, verse 12. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I, have, shall I of a surety bear a, son, bear a child which am old? Verse 14 says, Is there anything, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And I wrote in my Bible, absolutely not. At the, day, at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. In verses 1 through 8, we see three men came and visited Sarah and Abraham. From the context, especially verse 13, we see that one of these men was the pre-incarnate Christ. God himself. Look at this. Verse 9 and 10 says, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah shall have a, thy wife shall have a son. Then look at verse 13. And the Lord said, the same one that just said, I will return unto thee, in verse 13 says, And the Lord said. I don't know about you, that's pretty clear that's the Lord. And he says, wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, shall, have, shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And he says it again, at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah, Sarah shall have a son. Now, there are many different uh, opinions as to who the other two men were, which I'm not going to go through for tonight. I have enough on the docket to go through. I won't add that to, we'll be here for a while if we did. But we can clearly see from the text that, the one, that one of these men was God himself in a pre-incarnate form. God appeared to Abraham and Sarah to reveal to them some wonderful truths. God was going to show himself powerful on their behalf. And after this encounter with God, Abraham and Sarah would not be the same. Tonight, I would like to not only look at the amazing truths found in this passage, but also at the mighty God in this passage. He's the same God that wants to work in and through your problems. Amen. And if we could get a hold of these truths in Genesis 18 and apply them to our situation, God will be able to intervene in any and every situation or problem. No matter the problem you're facing today, no matter the situation you're facing, God wants to and He will intervene and bless you if you allow Him to do so. Now, what I, ask you, I would like to ask you the same question that God has been asking me for the last year. Is there anything? What's your anything? Take out the word anything and put in there what you're facing. Is that thing too hard for God? Absolutely not. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for this, this passage. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths found in this passage. Lord, I pray you'd help me tonight. Help me to say only what I need to say. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd take the word and apply it to every single heart. It's so amazing, Father, that the Holy Spirit can take this word and with this many people in this crowd can apply it to each and every one in a different way. Because, God, you know our hearts. 
You know our thoughts are far off. You know every downsitting. You know every uprising. You know every thought that goes through our mind. And God, you want to intervene. And I pray, God, you would. I pray, God, you would hide me behind the cross. I don't want people to leave here saying, wow, what a great message. I want to have people leaving here saying, wow, what a great God we serve. Lord, I pray you'd help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we see here, first of all, in verses 10 and verses 14, we see the promise. Look at verse 10. And he said, this is God saying, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah shall have, thy wife shall have a son. In verse 14, it says there after the question, at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. Now, this wasn't the first time God had appeared to Abraham and given him this specific promise. God had appeared to Abraham three times before this point. The first time God speaks to Abraham about this promise was in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, which says, Now the Lord had said unto him, Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into the land which, that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless, them that cur- bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then in Genesis chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed the Lord, and, it was, and, it count, and he counted it to him for righteousness." God repeats this promise in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8 and 15 through 19, and says it again in Genesis chapter 22, verses 14 through 18. And God's promises to Abraham would be a total picture of grace and redemption for all of humanity. It's done so by making a separate nation out of Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish people, through Isaac and the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those tribes would lead to the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what's going to excite you. I got some more stuff that's really going to excite you in a second. But Abraham's blessings and promises will, would extend to all families of the earth. And by faith, we as believers experiences, experience Abraham's blessing of being in the family of God. God has given us so many wonderful promises in his word. And behind every promise is a faithful God. Let me say it again. Behind every single promise is a faithful God. Verse 10 says, I will. Verse 14 says, I will. You know, when I say I will do something, and you too, we don't always do it, especially if it's inconvenient. But you know, God doesn't work that way, and praise God. Praise God when God says, I will, he's going to follow through. God has given us his completed word. The canon of scripture, as we would say, has been closed. Now, simply put, that just means that God's word, his specific words, every jot and every tittle, which is just the formation of the words, is the answer to every problem 
that we will ever face in our lives. Do you believe that? Every word in here will apply to every single promise. God's word transcends all time. We don't need any new revelation. We don't need any new revelation to answer our problems. And I will say this, if God decided to do that, he could. I am not putting limits on God, but I have been convinced that God has ordained it, that we don't need any new revelation. Look at 1 Corinthians. Not, not right now, sometime. <laughs> See also. Okay. Um, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119.89. For every problem that I can have, I will have, and I do have, there's already a word given to address that problem. God told Abraham and Sarah, I will certainly return. When God says, I will, he means it. What are some verses where God says, I will? Man, this is where it gets good. I can't even talk. And you start taking laps. I won't take a lap, but you can. Where does God say in his word, I will? They're wonderful promises, by the way. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the promise of redemption through Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Genesis 8, 6, 18. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Genesis 9, 16. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all, earth, of all flesh that is upon the earth. That's a promise of protection from Pending judgment. If you want these verses, I can give them to you later. I'm going I'm to go through them quick. Isaiah 41.10, we sang it tonight. Actually, some of these songs, man, I, it's almost like Kenny looked at my notes. But um, God was ordaining that. Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be thou not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. And he says it again. Yea, I will. Uphold thee with the right of hand of my righteousness. This is a promise of God's strength. Amen. John 6, 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So many promises. The promise of God's strength. The promise of God's acceptance. I will not leave you comfortless. The promise of comfort through the Holy Spirit. And then it says in John 6, 40, I will raise him up in the last day. The promise of the resurrection of the saved. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taking you but such as common to man. Now the word I will is not in here, but I know God's going to do this. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The promise of victory through God. Through God. Now these are just a sampling of the promises, the many promises in God's word. They're in God's word. We just have to Claim them, especially when we're facing that mountain. Every time we face a mountain or a problem in our life, God is bringing us back to his word. He's bringing us back to himself. He's bringing us back to his word. And we have to, what we have to do is we have to study. We have to find the promises for ourselves. And let me give you a really practical thing to do. When you find the promises of God, get a three-by-five card. 
On the front side of it, write in your own words the promise. On the back side of it, write the promise. And keep them with you and rehearse them and rehearse them and rehearse them, especially when the devil comes to you and lies and says dumb stuff that's not true. You've got to fight. The more you draw an eye to God, the more you draw an eye to his word, the more the devil will flee from you. But every time those troubling thoughts come in, every time that mountain comes up, every time that thing comes up, you have to claim the promises of God. Are we going to exercise faith in a faithful God when we face insurmountable problems? You know, your life may feel like a roller coaster. Up one day and down the other. Always changing. But God never changes. Malachi 3, 6, For I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So not only do we see behind every promise is a faithful God, but we also see God does not work on our timetable. Look at this, the passage again in verse number 10. It says, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. Then verse 14, and at the time appointed, I will return. When God appears to Abraham the first time with the promise of a son, Abraham was 75 years old. If you look in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, you'll see that. Even though we're not told Abraham's age in Genesis 18, we see that Abraham is between 99 and 100 years old. And Sarah is about 90. If you look at Genesis 17 and the verses there, you'll find information on that. And that's when God comes to Abraham, changes their names, and reiterates the promise. Therefore, from all indications, because we're not told exactly how old Abraham is in Genesis 18. From all indications, Abraham's between 99 and 100 years old. And God is still giving him these promises of a promised seed a full 25 years has passed since God first had given the promise. And there's no indication to Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child. They had waited for 25 years. Do you think Sarah and Abraham would have wanted children before that point? I think so. But it was God's plan for them to wait on him. As we, as we claim these promises, it's so important for us to remember to wait patiently for God. To God could have you and I waiting for many years before we see that fulfillment to what God said he was going to do. Psalm 27, 13 and 14, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. There are so many other passages. For sake of time, I'm going to read some of them. Psalm 40, verse 1. If you want these, I can give them to you. I can give you my whole entire notes if you want it. Not that they're going to be worth anything, but if you want the passages. Um, Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. When we're waiting, sometimes we want to lean unto our own understanding. We want to try things. As if God's not going to come through. I'm saying this as much to me as maybe all to me. Maybe you all are got it all figured out. 
Remember Martha? Remember Mary? You know, when Lazarus had died and, Mary, and Jesus, they let Jesus know and Jesus waits for two days before he comes. Remember that account in John 11? And, Mary, and he gets there and Mary says, if you would have been here, here our, he wouldn't have died. And what does he say down the, the, the passage here in verse 39 and 40? After, this is to Martha. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. It's, she's right. For he had hath been dead four days. And maybe in her heart she was saying, it like Mary said, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. Verse 40, Jesus saith unto her, said, not, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. God wants to be glorified, but we might have to wait. God might on purpose not come to us right away even though we scream and cry and not scream like, you know, disrespectfully scream, but we cry out to God. God might wait. I don't know. I'm not God. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. We've got to be careful to wait. And while we're waiting on God to intervene and bless in our problems, we must, not be careful to, we must be careful not to take matters into our own hands and get ahead of God. Genesis 15, verse 1 through 4 Remember, Abraham thinks that he can help God in this situation by adopting Eliezer of Damascus. And God promises again, no, I'm going to bring this, this son into your life. Then as time goes on, Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah come up with the idea of Hagar having a baby for Sarah because she was unable to have children and it seemed that God was not fulfilling his promises. Hagar gets pres- pregnant with Ishmael, but that was not God's plan for f- fulfilling his promise to to Abraham and Sarah. Have you ever been tempted to do the same thing? Now, don't be spiritual. <laughs> not, I'm not endorsing that you do this, but I'm just saying, don't be all spiritual and be like, no, I'd never do that. <laughs> Sometimes we get impatient and we start messing with stuff. We start thinking, oh, well, my God might need my help. He doesn't. I have to preach to myself. All this is to me too, okay? Um, Ishmael was the first Arab. And the Arabs and the Jews have been enemies ever since. God wanted them to take him at his word. No matter the problem or mountain that you're facing, are you going to take him at his word? Are you going to trust and obey even when it doesn't seem like it makes sense? As we face mountains or problems in our lives that seem insurmountable, we must claim the promises of God, believe in a faithful God, and wait patiently, God. But secondly, we see in verse 11 the problem. Verse 11, Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Abraham and Sarah's problem was a legitimate physical problem. It was humanly impossible for her to have a child. It says in verse 11, it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Verse 12, it's clear that Sarah knew that it was humanly, and I'm saying that very slowly, to point out it's humanly impossible for her to conceive a child. Sarah was not making this problem up in her head. It was a legitimate problem. Inspired scripture clearly states in verse 11 that she had a problem. But in verse 10, what does God say? I will certainly return unto thee in the time of life. And that, from all indications, that time of life there, from all indications, means that she's going to have a child in nine months. Now, to Sarah, 
that would have been humanly absurd. It would have. Let me ask you this question. Does that mountain or that problem that you're facing seem humanly impossible and humanly absurd? Now, I'm not making light of problems. Please understand my heart tonight. I'm not trying to make light of your problems. I am not at all. There's legitimate problems that we face in our lives, and they're not always the consequences of sin. There are times where we mess up, we sin, and God says, okay, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man so that shall he also reap. But then sometimes God just brings these things into your life to bring you to the end of yourself, to do something in your life. So I'm not making light of your problems tonight, and please don't think I am. But even though the answer to our problem seems impossible or absurd, we must remember that there is nothing that is impossible with God. What is humanly impossible is possible with God. Matthew 19, 26, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. For with God nothing shall be impossible, Luke 1, 37. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Ephesians 3.20. These are all good promises. Man, you'll have a lot of three by five cards, like three or four or five rings of them. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Don't worry about what's in the past. Don't worry about what's happened. Don't worry about all the failures you've had. Don't think about that. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. You shall not know it. And listen to this in Isaiah 43, verse 19. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Have you ever felt like you're in a wilderness? Have you ever felt like you're in a desert? You can't get anything. And you're crying out to God and you're pouring your heart out to God and you just keep doing it and it keeps seeming like God's not there. He's there. He will make a way in the wilderness. He will make a way in the desert. Amen. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. And notice this, to give you an expected end. God is going to finish it. God is going to come through. God is going, he has an end in your problems. He has an expected end. He'll bring you through in his perfect will, in his perfect timing. When we face our problems, we must remember that God does not take our problems away. Sometimes I wish he would. I'm just being honest. I'm being really transparent tonight. Sometimes I say, God, can you just take this away? And I cry to him. But when we're facing a storm, we can't immediately ask, God, take this away. Because that may not be God's will. And I'm not trying to be God in your life, so I don't know. You need to cry out to God, pray to him, look in his word, and he'll show you eventually what his will for your life is. But I know sometimes God says, no, Sarah could do nothing humanly to change this. Remember, Paul, he asked three times for God to remove that thorn in the flesh. Let me read that, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 9. And lest, and this is key, I'll get to this in a second. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations... There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. Everybody has their opinion about what they think his thorn in the flesh is. I think it might have been, you know, it says the messenger of Satan. I don't know. I mean, Satan can do a lot of stuff. So, I mean, it's a, I don't know. It was something. We don't get told. 
lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Don't go out and ask the people out there if that makes sense. They'll tell you it doesn't. They're all about, hype up your ego. You're self-sufficient. Every book you read out there from those people, meaning the lost, they're going to tell you weakness is not the way to being the top of the totem pole. But God says it, it's weakness. And many times God allows, notice what he said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. A lot of times, and I don't know what you're facing or what God's doing, but a lot of times God allows problems into our life for us to get to the end of self. He's removing self. I mean, that, I think we all would agree that throughout the Bible, God's in the business of removing self from us for him to fill us. And sometimes that's what God's doing. It's certain that we're going to face problems, whether a result of sin or God testing our faith. But the challenge is, how will we react to these problems? And that brings me to my third point. The promise, the problem, and then thirdly, the reaction. The reaction, verses 12 through 14. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. In every problem or, found, mount, in every problem or mountain we're going to face, in our life, where we're facing now, there's only going to be two reactions. It's not going to be three. There's not going to be one. There's only going to be two. It's either going to be unbelief or faith. Sarah's laughter indicates that her doubt, indicates her doubt and unbelief. She had an unbelieving heart in this matter of God's word. Notice verse 13. I'm I'm showing you. And the Lord said unto Abram, wherefore did Sarah laugh? Verse 14, is there anything too hard for the Lord? He confronts Sarah. Verse 15, then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, nay, but thou didst laugh. God confronts her. Her Her response, and this is key tonight, her response is tied to what she knows to be the human condition or the human reality. Let me say it again. Her response is tied to the human condition or the human reality. And that's what a lot of times we do. We tie what we know to what we know, humanly speaking. She, in essence, was saying, I'm too old to have a child. And so what God is saying cannot be true. Now, I'm not trying to, by the way, cast a really bad light on Sarah and say, bless God, she's just a loser. That's not what I'm trying to say, just for the sake of bringing that out. you know. But she did, was struggling here. I don't think we could disagree on that, that she was struggling. At the root of doubt, though, tonight, no matter what you think about Sarah and what happened there, at the, de- at the root of doubt is unbelief. While it's an actual reaction to doubt, it is unbelief. Notice, and I'll, I'll just bring one passage out, Matthew 14, verse 30 and 31. But when he saw the wind, this is Peter. Jesus says, come to me on the water. Peter gets out. He's walking on the water. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He starts looking at all the storm around him. And this is where we pick up verse 30. 30. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me. 
And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I'm not making the connection. God, Jesus Christ, is making the connection. O ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Are you doubting tonight? Doubt is unbelief. It's the absence of faith. But faith is where we exalt God in the situation. We don't exalt what's humanly, humanly impossible. We exalt God in this situation in spite of the natural condition or conclusion. And we see real quick in this, these verses that I'm reading here, we see some things about how God abused our unbelief. These are important things. Look at verse 13. It's, he says, and the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Lara, did, wherefore did Lara, wow, wherefore did Sarah laugh? Interesting when you switch the first letters around. Um, wow. At least I didn't knock the glass of water over. Um, just had to say that. Um, now I'm going to get serious because I need to get done. Um, but the Lord questions the unbelief and the doubt there. Wherefore did Sarah laugh? And, he's, and then secondly, the Lord knows the exact specific point of our unbelief. God knew she was going to do that. God knows when we're going to have an unbelieving heart. How is your, you know, her, her unbelief was revealed in her laugh. Her doubting was unbelie- revealed in her, in her laugh. But how is your unbelief or doubt revealed? Do you stop praying? Do you start being cynical? Do you get angry at God? Do you just start being unforgiving? That's not the way we do it. I'm not saying again that I'm making light of what you're going through. I'm not. But as Pastor Williams would say, I'd give you $100 if you can tell me why it's okay to go ahead and not be mad at God and stop praying and all that because it's not there. He used to say that all the time. I'll give you $100, and he would state something. But God knows where we are going to be unbelieving. And then lastly, in this idea here of what God views our unbelief as, the Lord wonders at our unbelief. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? And the answer to those questions is absolutely yes. He's going to do something. He's going to make it good. Even though it doesn't make sense, humanly speaking, we must trust a faithful God in his words. We must trust the word of God and apply it to our specific problems. Are you going to trust God no matter what, if it makes sense or not? Remember all the things that happened after Hagar and Abraham got together and all the things that happen from that. God knows everything about you. He knows your problem and he's just waiting for you to trust. He's just waiting for me to trust and obey. But you know the devil? He's waiting for you to doubt. And as soon as you give way to that doubting thought, he's got a foot in your mind and he will keep bringing it in. I was listening to a sermon today. There's so much, I want to say so much, but I'll say this. I was listening to a sermon today, Dr. Carter, the guy I'm taking counseling classes from, but he said, you know, you give way, the devil, can, the devil can't read your mind, but the devil can speak to your spirit. 
And if you allow the devil to speak to your spirit, the more you allow it, the more he's going to speak to you. But the more you say no, the more you cast down the imaginations and every thought that's against God, the more you do that, the more the devil can't get to you. The more you close the access points to, God, to the devil, the more God can come in. We got to do that. But he's waiting. The devil's waiting for you to doubt. You must defy the devil and his lies. Simply trusting every day, trusting through a storm away, even when my faith is small. Trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting as the moments fly, trusting as the days go by, trusting him whate'er befall, trusting Jesus, that is all. So when you are facing insurmountable problems, are you going to respond in unbelief or faith? We see the promise, we see the problem, we see the reaction, and lastly and quickly, we see the reward. God always comes through. If you go to Genesis chapter 21, verse 1 through 3, you'll see that God came through. Isaac was born. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's going to reward faith with blessing. Now, I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. And the Bible gives us some insight into a little bit about Sarah. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. And this is key. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Hebrews 11, 11 says, Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. And then notice what it says, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah wasn't perfect. Sarah didn't have times of doubt. Sarah didn't have times of unbelief. But in the end, Sarah judged him, that is God, faithful, that he was going to do what he promised. And God gave, notice that in verse 11, God gave Sarah, she received strength to conceive the seed. God's going to give you strength. God is a faithful God. God will give you strength if you just trust him. We know the end of the story. Did God come through for Abraham and Sarah? Did Abraham and Sarah have a baby? 50-50 chance here. You can do this, okay? Did Jesus eventually come through the line of Abraham? All these are yes, okay? Told you this, the answers. My stu- the students would love if I told them all the answers. It doesn't work that way. But I told you the answers. Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is... Christ. God came through. God had a big stake in this promise because he's going to, he was going to bring Jesus who was going to take our sins away, who was going to bless our lives. And let me remind you, God has a big stake in your life. God has a big stake in my life. He's going to be faithful. God knows everything about you. He knows all your problems. Psalm 139, if you're struggling, read Psalm 139. It's a wonderful passage. God is all-powerful. He can work through your problems no matter how big. God is faithful. He'll do what he says. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings, Psalm 36.7, Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust him. We must trust God for who he is. We must trust God for who he is. 
and what he has done, not just because he's going to reward us. We trust him because who he is. We trust him because he first loved us. We trust him because he's mighty and what he's done for us, we ought to trust him. And as I close, I want to read the words to a great song written by Gordon Jensen. I let Brother Kenny listen to it. I think we should sing it for choir, but we'll see. I'm not in charge. I just said, hey, this is a cool song. He agreed, um, and I'll leave it in his ballpark. But it's called Bigger Than Any Mountain. I don't know if you've heard it. It's, this is the words. Bigger than, any, th- bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all my questions, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all the shadows that fall across my way. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. He is bigger than all the confusion, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all the giants of pain and unbelief. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than any hangups, bigger than anything. My God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see, bigger than all my questions, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. God is bigger than anything. We serve a mighty God. And I ask you again, Genesis 18, verse 14, is there anything too hard for the Lord? If you would bow your heads, close your eyes. With every head bowed, every eye closed, before I pray, I just want to ask you the question again. What struggles are you facing today? Are you facing a mountain that you don't know how to get over? Remember, God has given us specific promises. He's given us his word for every problem we're going to face. God's allowed that problem in our life, and he's looking to do great things in your life. But we have to be careful not to go the wrong way in unbelief and doubts about the past. God wants to show himself real in your life. And once you've found God's word concerning your problem, we just need to trust God. Every difficulty that we face with sin or circumstances that can be, those those things can be won by just trusting God with the next step. With what situation do you need to trust God tonight? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths in your word. And I pray you'd help us now as we take take time for invitation. Lord, I pray that we would move as you lead us to move. Work in our hearts, work in my heart, work in each heart tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you do for us. And we thank you that you're a mighty God. We ask you to bless the invitation as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'd stand with me.